It's a great privilege to be here with you. Um, I moved to Austin about two years ago to actually do campus ministry for the United Methodist Church at UT. So I get the privilege of working with young people, some of whom came from this church and you would know. So, but this is my first time to, to preach at Bethany and this has been a great church home uh, for me, very welcoming and loving. And so it's a privilege to be able to speak God's word to you today. There's nothing better uh, to me that I could be able to do. Um, today I'm going to talk on this wonderful, amazing biblical truth that God is our pursuer. God is seeking us. And the way we view God shapes the way we live our lives, doesn't it? When we believe truths about God, it changes the way we respond to him and the way we live. So I'm going to start out by telling you a couple stories. The first one is about uh, me and my sister Becky. I am the youngest of four kids. They all tell you I'm the spoiled one. I'm the baby that came a little bit later. And um, I'm especially close to this sister, Becky, who is the third. And um, when I graduated from seminary in the 90s, it was a really big deal, you know, after three years of working hard. And uh, the family was all coming to celebrate with us. And it was a very exciting day, but it was also a very tense day. Here I am, you can see me in all my glory in the middle there, graduating. And, um, but the thing that was intense about it was that my sister Becky had not been back to my parents' home for 10 years. When I was a sophomore in college, um, I always felt like I had kind of a beaver cleaver, very happy family, and grew up in the church. And my sister wrote a letter to my parents, basically coming out of the closet. And this was a big shock to my parents, and they re reacted really differently. My mother said, you know, that might not be the life we would choose for you, but we're your parents and we're here for you no matter what. And after a little while, my father said, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. I'm not going to read your letters. You can never come home again. And he took her out of his will. So this had been very, very tense in my family. It felt kind of like a divorce, but in a different weird way. My mom kept visiting my sister. She would fly from Illinois to California, or my sister would visit my mom, but she would stay in a hotel. So she hadn't been back to my parents' home for 10 years, and it felt very, very tense for all of us. We were happy that it was happening, but still things were kind of rough. And as uh, after the graduation ceremony, and we pulled up into the driveway, and Becky was in the car with me, and when she got out of the door, she just fell down and started weeping in the driveway. It was very emotional. And the thing is, not only did my dad disown my sister, later he disowned my other sister for another reason. He refused to talk to his, sis, his own sister for many years. And he was just in this, this habit of um, rejecting anyone who didn't live the way he thought they should live. My brother and I would sometimes joke in a kind of uneasy way, what is it that we're going to do that will cause our father to reject us, take us out of the will? And it was funny, but it really wasn't funny. 
because it was so deeply painful to see the pain that's caused someone when someone cuts them out of their life or only loves them if they live the way they want them to live. And in... um, Yeah, that's basically the way it ends up feeling, right? If I do the right thing, if I live the way my father wants me to live, then then I'm okay, then I'm accepted. Um, So that was a very difficult uh, time in our life. And then actually, wow, sorry. Is the mic kind of weird? I'm okay? Keep going. All right. So um, basically, it just uh, reinforced this idea that you have to be careful um, or you won't be loved for who you really are. And um, it uh, caused a lot of pain. Actually, after that, my dad did drift uh, back to his old position, and he probably didn't talk to my sister for about 20 more years after that. Only recently, when my mom became very ill in about 2014, did they begin to, again, have a relationship. So another story I want to tell you is, um, I, I think you'll begin to see maybe where I'm going with this. This is about my little boy, who is now 22 years old. Um, but this is one of my all-time favorite pictures of him. His name is Zachary. And when he was four years old, he had this little yellow bicycle, and he loved to ride that bicycle around. And um, one day I was teaching at the international school. We actually lived in Chiang Mai, Thailand. It's in northern Thailand. And we had a woman named Goy that was helping take care of our kids. And she called me at the school, which had never happened before. And she said, Zachary rode his bike around the corner but he hasn't come back. And I said, well, how long's it been? And she said, about an hour. So that was very upsetting. So I rushed home. Um, Zachary's dad rushed home, and we each got in a different vehicle, and we started fanning out through the neighborhood, calling his name, with the windows down, calling his name, looking for that yellow bike. We went to all the homes of American friends that we could think of. It was mostly all Thai people, and Zach didn't speak Thai very well, so we thought he probably went to someone's house that speaks English, and I was pretty calm. I thought, you know, we have some friends there. He probably was there. Well, another Another hour went by. Now it's been two hours. And of course, I'm thinking the very worst. And you, you know all those detective shows? They're always saying the longer the child is gone, the less chance that you're going to get them back. And I'm starting to really freak out and start to cry. And our neighbor offers to start calling the hospitals. This is like the worst experience of my life. And after that, I stopped going in the neighborhood and I started going down these kind of side dirt roads where I thought maybe he could have wandered down there or gotten hurt or someone taken him. I didn't know what. And um, when three hours were up, I was just beside myself. And I finally got this idea. I thought maybe there's someone here we don't know. There's somebody he's visiting that we don't know. And I called the school and I said, is there any chance someone moved into the neighborhood um, lately? And she said, well, actually, there is this one family in your part of the neighborhood, the Clements. And I went over there and there was this little yellow bicycle. (laughs) 
And uh, even though this happened about 15 years ago, my son said he still vividly remembers being crushed in my embrace. He vividly remembers being very shocked and surprised at the intensity of that love that I gave him that day. And the way I said, never, never go away without telling me where you are because I am always, always going to look for you and I'm always going to come after you, but I have to know where you are. And the question I think that God wants to pose for us this evening is how do we perceive God? Do we view God as the one who is withholding his acceptance of us if we didn't perform well, if we're trapped or struggling with some kind of sin or difficulty in our life, if we can only see our weaknesses or the wrong things that we've done, is God withholding his love from us the way my father did? Or is God like a parent who would do anything to seek you out? Is God like a parent who loves his child so much that he will never give up in pursuing a relationship with that child? And intellectually, you know the answer. It's not hard, is it? We know God is full of love. He loved us so much he sent Christ. He has pursued us over and over again in our lives. But in our heart, because of our experiences with other people who have loved us so conditionally, people who have only approved of us or loved us if we do what they want us to do, sometimes we begin to project that onto God. And you know, one of the best ways that God showed us who he is is through the person of Jesus, right? When we look at the life of Jesus and his words, we see what God was like. And I want to read a text uh, from Luke 15. By this time, a lot of men and women of doubtful reputation were hanging around Jesus, listening intently. The Pharisees and religious scholars were not pleased, not at all pleased. They growled. He takes in sinners and eats meals with them, treating them like old friends. Their grumbling triggered this story. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and lost one. Wouldn't you leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the lost one until you found it? When you found it, you can be sure, oh, sorry, when found, you can be sure you would put it across your shoulders rejoicing. And when you got home, call in your friends and neighbors saying, celebrate with me. I found my lost sheep. Count on it. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner's rescued life than over 99 good people in no need of rescue. And you can see Jesus is responding to their judgmentalism, right? They're displeased. What's Jesus doing hanging around with these bad people? They didn't like Jesus' performance. They didn't feel like he had their high standards, but what Jesus said is, not only do I care about these people, but I am celebrating the fact that they know that they need me. They don't think they're too good to need my teaching. Quite the opposite. The text tells us that they were listening intently to Jesus, 
They wanted to learn and grow and become because Jesus believed in them and loved them so passionately, right? Thousands of people followed him. Historically, we know this. Common people. But the religious people, they were the ones that didn't have the time because they were so caught up in their own standards of being good enough. Another uh, story is similar He says, imagine a woman who has 10 coins and loses one. Now, because coins aren't that valuable to us, I like to think these are $100 bills. Okay, imagine you have 10 $100 bills, right? And you lost one. I would search for that $100. Won't she light a lamp and scour the house, looking in every nook and cranny until she finds it? And when she finds it, you can be sure she'll call her friends and neighbors. Celebrate with me. I found my lost coin. Count on it. That's the kind of party God's angels throw every time one lost soul turns to God. So the real question for us tonight is how do we see God? Our perspective does, I think, really determine our ability to experience, not just know intellectually, but experience every single day the fact that we are so valued by God that he wants to pursue a relationship with us. He wants to be close to us the way Jesus was eating and hanging out with these people who were so flawed, so imperfect, so judged by others. And God longs to be close to us in that same way. God wants us to wake up every morning and say, I am immersed in the love of God. I was trying to think of a good analogy for this, and it's kind of hard for me, but all I could think of was, you know when you go in the ocean and you're just covered with uh, saltiness? right? It's everywhere. You're just salty. Your lips are salty, every, every tiny spot. And that is the way God loves us. But it's so difficult for us to feel and experience because so often we're not loving ourselves and we're not receiving uh, healthy love from other people. Or perhaps we project onto them their lack of love. Actually, sometimes people are trying to love us, but we can't feel it or experience it. And God says, please, I throw a party for you. I would leave the rest of them and come after you. All I need to know is that you want to be with me. That is the God that we serve. So do we see God as a parent who cuts us off and discards us when we're found lacking? Or as a parent who pursues and loves us no matter what we've done wrong? Why do you think we often view God as somehow being against us or judgmental or critical of us? Where is that coming from? Is it inside our head? Is it coming from other people? I think all our experiences have been really different, right? It depends what kind of environment we've been in and what we've seen and what people have taught us about God. But over and over and over, we see through the person of Christ Someone saying, when you know you need me, that's all you need. It's so easy, it's hard <laughs> to get our heads around. One of my favorite uh, parables is when Jesus talks about the two men praying in the temple. And the one guy says, thank you, God, that I'm not like these other guys, right? Right? 
He's all about how together he is. And the other guy it says he is so humble, he stood back far, far. And he didn't even want to lift up his eyes. And he said, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that's the guy who went home completely, uh, what's the word that was used? That's the guy who went home, I can't think of the word, (laughs) redeemed, uh, known, who experienced the grace of God. And so in some ways it seems uh, we can get caught in a performance thing. If only I can do all these good things, God will be pleased with me. And the truth is God says, simply open your heart to me, And I am so pleased with you. No matter what's in your past, no matter what way you might hurt another person or reject me, even tonight, I am here for you. I love you. I am your biggest fan. And when I come after you and you open up to me, I carry you home on my shoulders and I have a party. That's how much you mean to me. I think when we embrace God's powerful acceptance, when we believe this truth and we tell it to ourselves over and over, then gratitude infuses our life with a new joy in living. It infuses us with the desire to follow God, to love him, to teach other people about him because there is nothing better Nothing richer, nothing stronger, nothing deeper, nothing better than being loved by the creator of the universe. It's so hard to get our head around, isn't it? The one that created the stars, the moon, the beauty, created these free creatures with this enormous capacity for art and music and love and romance and strength and, you know, all the things that make life worth living. And God made us so he could know us. In closing, I just wanted to uh, read a really powerful verse from Romans 8, which says, I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, Absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. One speaker I heard not long ago said, talk to yourself, don't listen to yourself. And I like that a lot because so often we listen to this really broken voice, don't we? This bad tape of negative messages. You're not good enough. People aren't going to like that. You can't measure up. Why is your life not uh, more meaningful? You really screwed that up. No wonder that happened, right? We have these negative messages that we can just play without even thinking. It's like autopilot. But instead, God wants us to talk to ourselves, to tell us the truth over and over. And the truth is that God created us for a purpose, that God considers us ultimately the most valuable thing ever. That God not only considers us worthwhile, but he pursues us with his love and he wants us to experience it every day. Because when we feel the love of God, we give the love of God. 
right? Because it fills us with that joy. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing we've ever done or said or been, no mistake or sin is too huge. God wants to teach us to receive his love and to experience it with joy every single day. In closing, I just thought, um, what are some ways we could um, reach back out toward God? And one is super simple, is to simply come to God and say, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, God. I want to know you, but maybe it's hard, or maybe we haven't talked for a while, or maybe I'm not following you very much right now. Just open up that door because God's there pursuing us. For some of us, we need to learn more about God's love and put that truth in our heads so we can speak that truth and talk it, uh, talk to ourselves, right? Reading even just the book of 1 John, four or five little chapters, so much truth about God's love and how powerful it is. Or maybe reading a gospel and seeing Jesus in action and just learning again who God is. And growing together, I find when we get with other believers, that can be the most powerful thing of all, isn't it? Because we experience God's love through each other. Thank you for the opportunity and privilege of speaking to you today. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you are our pursuer and the one greatest lover of our souls. We thank you that you don't withdraw your love when we disappoint you, and you don't grade us according to our performances, Lord. Quite the opposite. We are your children, and you pursue us, and you seek us out, and you love us powerfully. We pray that you'd allow us to experience your love in deeper and more powerful ways that we might share it with others and that our lives might be transformed as we follow hard after you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.